security over the next few years is going to hopefully continue to fall kind of in the background. Essentially, you're, you're allowing access to a space without having to really engage with the user or the, the building occupant at all. You know, whether it's using facial recognition or I mentioned like gate detection earlier, or at most perhaps, you know, maybe you're having to wave your hand through a biometric scanner. You know, essentially you're not having to dig out a badge. You're not even having to deal with a mobile credential on your device. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Tim Baker. Now, Tim is the Global Director of Marketing and Product Management of Commercial Security Products at Honeywell. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Now, you have a very broad remit, which I'd love to get into in a minute, as far as the, the balance. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, I sort of considered two sides of uh, different coins in the, the focus around the marketing side of the world. Uh, inside the uh, Honeywell uh, commercial products, security product space, but also the product management, which I'd love to delve into in a moment because it seems like a, an interesting challenge to blend those two. But before we kick into that, I wonder if you would uh, humor me. I'd love to get my guests just to do a little intro to themselves for our audience, just to get to know you, build a little rapport with you, maybe a little background on yourself, where you're from originally, any uh, fun anecdotes around your academic path and uh, career path of how you came to this amazing role. Sure, sure. So um, I've, uh, I guess, throughout my career, I've, I've been involved in, uh, in in product management and product development. I've always really enjoyed kind of understanding uh, customer problems and finding creative ways to solve them. Um, whether it was my time earlier in my career as an engineer, or later later in life as a as a product manager and, and marketing leader, it's always been kind of a passion of mine to go solve problems in innovative ways. But um, just in terms of a little bit about me. Um, I was born and raised in the in the Chicago area in uh, in Illinois in the U.S. and um, and uh, went to college uh, in the area as well, University of Illinois in uh, in Urbana-Champaign, and studied uh, engineering there. Um, wasn't wasn't really satisfied with uh, the majors that they had, so I was able to actually kind of create my own curriculum around um, what was called integrated engineering and industrial design. So it was really about consumer product design. So have uh, definitely taken a few um, forks in the road in my career, you know, starting in, in kind of consumer product design, um, having worked for about 11 years with Bosch uh, in their power tools division, and then uh, making the shift to life safety and security uh, back in 2012 when I moved to Honeywell and um, really kind of developed a passion for um, making buildings safer, making uh, people safer. And uh, now it's just kind of become my, my complete focus. Um, just in terms of um, you know a little bit more about me and my my family. So I'm, I'm married with, uh, with with two boys, um, uh, two uh, uh, junior high age boys. So it's an interesting time, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's uh, you know it's it's been great working at at, at Honeywell and, and really um, like I said, kind of uh, um, being able to focus on on um, making people's lives safer, but now having a family and having kids that are school age, you know, really having that focus on making buildings safer as well. Indeed. And uh, uh, I noticed you've, you've been awarded something like a dozen patents uh, uh, across various, uh, I guess, spaces. Um, it seems to me that uh, throughout this uh, couple of decades of your uh, academic and, career and working career path, you've uh, clearly had a vision of what you wanted to do um, around what you were just talking there, just, as you said, making the world safer, making life safer. 
Uh, and I guess that's a perfect fit into what you're doing now uh, in, in the world of Honeywell across the, uh, yeah. the, the um, I guess, the security topic in general, but particularly the commercial security products. So it's interesting that you've uh, managed to have a very clear vision, like a laser focus on this, and now you're in, in what I imagine is the perfect blend of, of job roles and functions that you've got uh, on one side, the marketing and communications component of it, of sharing that vision to the world and, and providing awareness and education. On the other side, uh, being hands-on in many ways, I'm sure, around the product uh, design, development, and, and, and management and getting those products up and running. Um, that must be a match made in heaven for you as far as the job function goes. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's kind of uh, the, the yin and the yang there. So getting to really still be involved in the product development side, you know, leading the product management team, daily interaction with the R&D team, but also daily interaction with, with customers and being able to go out and, and educate people on our products and, and um and, and not just about our products, but also how to make buildings safer in general. You know, we do a lot of um, outreach as well here in the States. As you know, we've, we've had a lot of incidents around, um, especially public schools and, and, um, and incidents around, um, you know, gun violence and, and the like. And um, so, you know, we, we try to take an approach where we're not just focusing necessarily on our products and our technology, but generally speaking, how do we make those spaces safer? Um, how, do we, how do we implement the right things? Um, in terms of standard operating procedures and how to react when an incident occurs, and then just let the technology um, help augment and and um, kind of um, supplement what you can do kind of on your own to make make your spaces safer. Indeed. Now, I'd love to dive into uh, what a day in the life is uh, in in your world um, in a moment. But when we think about Honeywell as, as a brand and organization, we were just off air at the moment ago. I was just saying that. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those uh, household names that we all know, whether it's uh, from thermostats at home, from the consumer space. Uh, I mean, I see them constantly traveling around the world in my hotel rooms. Thermostats, just something that we see every single day. Uh, I was uh, sharing an anecdote a moment ago just off the air that I'll repeat that uh, as a teenager, I used to borrow a friend's father's camera, which was a Honeywell Pentax camera. Um, I yeah. you know, come from a deeply technical background where once upon a time I cut my teeth on a Honeywell mainframe of all things. And so through life, you know, Honeywell's been part of our, our day-to-day lives in, in, in either a home, certainly our work environment. Um, you know, uh, professionally, I've seen Honeywell uh, through, you know, building security with anything from a single camera and a remote operator through to, to thousands of cameras and shopping malls. Um, once upon a time, I even wanted to be a pilot. I remember uh, being trained up on Honeywell uh, systems uh, because of the cockpits were in the airplanes in the Air Force. And so, you know, it's a brand we see across so many spaces and, and, and has, you know, I think something like 100 plus, 113 years is it, of, of it being established. So a very deep, long pedigree to bring to this space now where, as you said, when we think about even just getting out of bed every morning, personal security, physical security is such a, a top of mind thing, not just from the media hype, but just feeling good about going out in the real world every day and whether it's, you know, uh, terrorism incidents or domestic incidents or just accidents in many cases or potentially just regular petty crime. Um, the commercial security product space, I mean, what's a day in the life for Tim Baker like currently in the space of juggling those two uh, sort of pieces of the coin of, of the marketing side and the product management side? Yeah, yeah. So I guess just to take a little step back on Honeywell. So back in um, in uh, October 2018, we actually spun off the, the residential part of the business, which is the part that probably most people are familiar with because, you know, as, as uh, 
building occupants and, and uh, you know, living in your home, you, like you said, you see those those consumer products of Honeywell's all over the place, and that's generally, generally how you get to know the brand. But a much bigger part of the overall pie for Honeywell is kind of the, the building technologies and industrial space, aerospace. And so um, with just how rapidly the residential space is, is um, uh, evolving, um, we elected to, to spin off that residential business and really let them um, – Focus on, on kind of growing at the pace that 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 part of the market is moving. Um, it's 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 really fast. Um, it's 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 very different. And so we we spun that business off. Um, when we did that, Honeywell decided to really double down and invest on the commercial security part of the business. And I was lucky to, to kind of be around um, for the the genesis of that. And uh, so I've I've been in this this role since um, since that spin, and you know was able to kind of help. Um, form the team around commercial security products and, um, you know, kind of spell out what, what the business unit looks like. Um, so that was, that was a really fun uh, and, and uh, interesting learning experience and, and, and great experience. Um, just in terms of, you know, what it's like to be in marketing and product management, um, like I said, on, on the one hand, um, you know, you're, you're taking the time to do things like this and really, really get to go and, and, and talk to great industry experts like you, um, you know, really get to engage with our customers. On the other hand, uh, or the other side of the coin, you've got the engagement with um, the R&D folks and, and bringing those, um, you know, problems and pain points and business challenges that our customers see to those R&D teams and, and going and, and really helping to kind of inform them on um, what problems we need to go solve and, and, how to, and being part of that, that solution and how to solve them as well. So. Um, it's it's a great joy of mine to be able to kind of be on both sides and, and have that really close interaction with the customer, with the industry, and uh, continue to go back to my roots on the R&D side as well. Oh, indeed. As I said, I think it's a match made in heaven, this this, this cross-functional component. Uh, in fact, I was watching uh, from afar, living vicariously through your social feeds, and uh, I saw some of the great work you were doing even as recently as November uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago at, uh, I think it was your uh, annual dealer conference, and uh, you had a couple of interviews mm-hmm. there. So it seems like you are literally, as you said, out in the field talking to real humans about the the, the, the points of differentiation you've developed in recently. Um, and I'm very envious of your opportunity to be hands-on with establishing that. that that's something that doesn't come around in career paths very often. Let's maybe just talk briefly about the actual Honeywell Commercial Security Division itself. Um, and we, when, mm-hmm. we, when we think about what that division is, I can imagine that the focus is to provide you know, world-class connected security solution, solutions from uh, small to medium-sized businesses all the way to some of the largest building infrastructure on the planet. Um, we, as, we, you know, as we know, Honeywell's a, a company that's had a very broad and deep, deep uh, capability in various ways. Maybe if you could just give us a, a summary just at high level first around the Honeywell Commercial Security Division and its, its core remit, uh, where, it's, where it's sort of going to with what some of those capabilities. I imagine you're, you're leveraging a lot of technologies to, to build this capability from physical to virtual, logical, artificial, machine, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, latest technologies like video surveillance. Uh, give us a little summary of kind of what Honeywell's Commercial Security Division general remit is and kind of the direction it's going to now that you've kicked this thing off. Sure, sure. So you, you touched a little bit on the on the customer segments that we target, and it's 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 pretty broad. Um, you know, everybody, like you said, from the small to medium business space up and through enterprise and commercial or uh, critical infrastructure as well. Um, but we try to focus on some pretty specific areas. Within the small to medium business space, um, we're primarily focused on 
um, what I would call more multi-site um, applications. Uh, so you think about um, franchisee owners, um, you know, multi-site retail is a, is a, is a common one for us. Uh, K through 12 schools, like I touched on, so the public, you know, kind of uh, primary schools. Um, you know, areas where are, are, um, parts of the market there in the SMB space where you have multiple sites that you're looking to potentially tie together and have, um, you know, on the go kind of awareness and control of those sites together. Traditionally in the security space, we've thought about three discrete areas of, um, or product domains, I should say. You've had um, the intruder um, protection or intrusion protection, which is generally perimeter protection. Um, it's you know, often known as burglar alarms as well. Um, so those are the alarms that go off when nobody's in the building or nobody's supposed to be in the building. You've got access control, which is exactly like it sounds. That's the card readers when you go to walk into a building that help to maintain um, the right level of access to the right parts of the building. And then you've got video surveillance. Um, and uh, again, I think most people are familiar with video surveillance as well. Um, where the market's really going is integrating those three things together and enabling use cases where those three types of systems are sharing information. And so in the small to medium business space, that's where we feel like we can really provide a lot of value. Um, we provide products in all three domains and we provide a really nice software platform called MaxPro Cloud that ties all three together through a cloud-based uh, interface and, and, and mobile interface. Um, when you move up the continuum to the, the enterprise and critical infrastructure space, um, we're primarily focused on the compliance-driven uh, customers and verticals. So some examples would be things like pharmaceutical and, and healthcare, uh, banking and finance, airports, um, oil and gas, or the, the energy industry within critical infrastructure as well. All of these verticals are, are compliance-driven. Um, the reason that's important to us is because we have a really great solution around um, uh, helping companies drive compliance with security, um, and that's called ProWatch. It's our integrated security software suite um, that brings together um, the, the same three systems, intrusion, um, access control, and video, just like uh, we do in the SMB space, but here with around solutions that are much more customizable and scalable for those larger um, customers that might be uh, you know, global in nature and have a whole variety of different types of building footprints in these cases. There seems to be some very natural fit elements in there when I think about uh, what you were just sharing there in that um, you've got some common infrastructure where human beings are. You've got some lifestyle and um, working life segments in there. Uh, and then you've got some uh, core asset investments that are being protected. So you've got everything from young kids in schools through to high volume retail spaces where we're just going every day from milk and bread through to, to, to clothing shopping and whatnot. And I imagine cars and other things like that. You've got some spaces mm -hmm. around, as you mentioned, like pharmacy, banking, healthcare, and airports and energy spaces, where there's high volume traffic of humans on a day-to-day -day basis, a very high physical footprint, if you'll pardon the pun. But then you've also got some very high value physical assets, and that is that airports are a very big sunk cost. We want to protect them. Um, you know, banks and other spaces likewise. I imagine it was the case that there were some fairly natural fits that when you looked at protecting human beings and some of the, the livelihoods around what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and then the physical assets that, that supported that infrastructure, there was probably some natural overlaps that just made it sensible to focus on those areas. Would that be a fair comment to say as far as your, your market segmentation went? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned how they're, they're all kind of um, compliance-driven, and, and certainly the way that you protect people within those spaces is, is consistent and common as well when you, when you talk about 
what we would call we would kind of group all of the customers that fall within those those verticals and the enterprise space as um, what we call critical enterprise because none none of those types of businesses that typically fall into those verticals within the enterprise space can really tolerate uh, downtime. So uh, that's another really key element and component of the way that those businesses are structured is they 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 really value having a 100% uptime and they need that also for compliance sake as well. So when you think about, you know, building redundancy in, in network, redundancy in power supplies, that's another area that we that we sort of focus on and differentiate ourselves on. One of the things in doing my own homework before we jumped in this call was that um, uh, historically there's been a lot of re- reactive um, capabilities in, in the market uh, with regard to how organizations might have dealt with some of these challenges. You know, someone jumps over a fence, a security person runs out and chases them out of the premise uh, when they uh, see them on a camera or an alarm goes off and a security company or the police might get deployed to the location. I imagine that there's been a pivot now in, in what you're developing and certainly the homework I've done, it, it seems to indicate that you've done, managed this, that you've gone from this um, real-time monitoring uh, uh, historical approach to security in various physical and, and logical senses to more of a predictive, and that is that you can you can make, uh, I guess, uh, not so much assumptions, but inferences based on data you're seeing from various different types of uh, systems, whether it's the intrusion systems or access control or, or even the video feeds. Is that the case that you're now looking towards more of a predictive capability, uh, not so much from science fiction, but if you know how things are, are operating and happening and someone's moving into a particular direction, it's not hard to predict that they're, or it's, it's getting easier to predict that they're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, either deliberately or accidentally? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a shift from reactive to proactive and, and something that we're really trying to stay at, at the front of. Um, uh, one of the products that we have coming out in the, the second quarter um, of 2020 is a, is a product called Intelligent Command, which is essentially a thin client interface that sits on top of, of ProWatch. And um, the, the whole purpose of it, it's, it's, think of it as a, as a new single pane of glass user interface. And, and it's, it's really designed to bring... Um, focus, a focused response. You know, we like to say here that um, the video wall is dead. You know, in, in movies, you see these, these, these GSOCs, these, these huge, um, you know, kind of global uh, security offices, operation centers that um, have these huge walls of video monitors, maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 video monitors. And you've got this, this, uh, this line of this row of people, um, you know, constantly staring at those monitors, trying to see where there's a potential issue. And we're really trying to get that down to maybe two or three monitors um, on a on a maps-based interface that is is layered such that it's um, you know bringing the right information to the front and um, making sure that all the the key stakeholders that are involved in any type of a response to an incident are getting pushed the right information and are able to to then also push back any any sort of information that they're getting in response. So an example would be, you know, if an incident occurs. Um, and uh, you've got uh, security people that are out, you know, potentially patrolling a campus that to their mobile devices, they're getting pushed uh, what the incident is and what their response should be. And then the ability to also for them take pictures, video, or otherwise acknowledge that, you know, what they're potentially viewing is actually happening or what they've been asked to do has actually been done, whether it's, um, you know, mustering people and making sure that everybody's safe or, um, you know, potentially checking and validating that an incident is actually occurring as, as seen at the GSOC. So, um, you know, being able to really kind of um, focus down the response, in a, like you said, in a, in a proactive way, 
um, ideally before an incident actually occurs based on um, you know, additional information that we're feeding into the system um, versus waiting for an incident to actually happen and then letting chaos ensue before getting things under control. Indeed, and I imagine the speed and scale of things we're having to deal with now across the space is, uh, is just getting to the point where humans can't deal with the volume of data that's coming at them and the complexity of it. I wonder if we can delve into the actual um, technology innovation focus that uh, you, you've brought about within Honeywell now in this space. I'm really keen to understand a couple of things, uh, primarily sort of what drove, and I think you've touched on some of these points, but what drove this, this need to sort of start building this capability around what you described, I think, uh, integrated security. And you've talked about uh, mm-hmm. a combination of Max Pro and Pro Watch. Maybe if we could dive into that stack of kind of what makes each of these layers work, because uh, when we think about some of these technologies, it's easy to sort of gloss over and think, oh, it's just a, a black box that magically works and, and, and the people at Honeywell sort it out. Um, I'd love to get a little insight into kind of some of the thinking around the, the technology innovation and, and what drove that strategically, how that comes about, and just you know how you've gone to leverage some of these technologies that are already there, because it seems to me that historically large brands like Honeywell may have had a requirement to build everything themselves just through necessity because things didn't exist in many cases having to invent them. But nowadays it seems to be the case that you can leverage a number of other technologies and, and get to market much quicker. As you mentioned, you know, you're using cloud capabilities now, so you don't have to have all the infrastructure, all the data yourself, uh, data centers and so forth. Um, you're leveraging uh, uh, you know, probably some of the best high-resolution cameras for security, and I imagine they're 4K or, or even better. And again, you don't mm-hmm. have to make those cameras yourselves. Um, give us a little background on sort of the whole innovation drive across the technology stack at Honeywell, and I'd love to delve into a little more detail there if you can. Yeah, so from our standpoint, we're, we're trying to design um, software systems that are as um, open as humanly possible. And by that, I mean, um, to your point, you know, Honeywell can't be an expert in every possible field. Um, you know, there's experts out there in things like gunshot detection or behavioral analytics that you can apply to, to video. Um, you know, th- there's no way that we can be expected or, or would expect ourselves to try to be experts in all those things. We'd spread ourselves too thin and we'd be an expert at, at, at nothing, essentially. So what we do is, is um, you know, really try to develop that core integrated software solution and the key hardware that goes along with it. Um, but then all those kind of peripheral elements, especially the really, um, you know, kind of high-tech specialty edge devices like gunshot detection, we integrate those things into our into our open system, feed that data in, and, um, you know, bring those things together to provide holistic solutions for our customers. Um, so, you know, in terms of some of the technology that, that we use, um, on the enterprise side, side of the world, um, no two ProWatch deployments are alike. They're, they're all very different. Um, every customer is different. Their businesses are different. Their building footprints are different. Um, uh, you know, one of the interesting things in the enterprise space is um, oftentimes the buildings that a large Fortune 500 company occupies, they, they didn't build any of them, or maybe it's just their marquee headquarters. Every other building, you know, of the, of the you know, hundreds of potential buildings that they own were either acquired, you know, through acquisition, uh, maybe their lease basis, um, uh, you know, it's, or, or maybe they just were purchased after the fact, but they're, they're disparate spaces. So from our standpoint, we've got to take that into account. We, we've, got to, we've got to have the ability to um, adapt our, our solutions to live in those different types of um, spaces and deployments. Um, so we have to be able to do everything from, 
you know, do compute at the edge, um, you know, for potentially a, a, a building that's, that's kind of, um, you know, isolated and doesn't have the ability to have, um, you know, central controllers in that particular building to uh, being able to do um, compute in the cloud and, um, and potentially also in, on uh, localized servers as well. Um, so the ability to have our software and infrastructure scale to those different types of, of platforms, depending on the use case, is, is really critical for us. Um, you know, not having to, you know, rewrite code potentially to adapt to those different applications, different different um, hardware uh, platforms and infrastructures is really critical to us as well. Yeah, I think there's so many amazing things you just said there. I mean, I, I love the idea that you're leveraging so many smart things, uh, even from, you know, gunshot detection. I had the privilege of being involved in a project recently trying to problem solve inside a building <clears throat> gunshot detection, which is a weird thing to do, not in Australia. Uh, so internationally that I won't mention the location of. And uh, they deployed a system they couldn't detect the sound of gunshots even though they had tested it with recordings. And it turns out nobody had walked down the hallways and gone left and right and left and right and then stood in the middle of the building and, and pushed play on the recording with a gunshot and, and accounted for the attenuation of sound around corners until it finally got to where the sensor was. Uh, and therefore they hadn't trained the sensor that this is what a gunshot sounds when it goes around corners a few times and ricochets and gets to the microphone. Uh, and it really woke me up to the fact that, as you're just talking about now, you've got to leverage the best of the best to get to the market quickly. You've got to keep it cost effective. I imagine underpinning all this as well, you're leveraging the best of breed of approaches to building technology now. So software-defined infrastructure, DevOps, continuous deployment, continuous integration, and all of these agile capabilities because building little black boxes doesn't work anymore. You've got to be very nimble and agile. And I imagine underpinning it, there's a common foundation that you deploy. But as you said, every particular one is effectively a bespoke, customized solution because no two buildings are the same. Inside all, inside all that, there must be some common components. So I know you've done a, a, a bunch of work uh, to put together a very solid partnership with Intel, for example, which I'd love to delve into uh, in, in that whole ecosystem and stack you've built. There, there's some common components that you bank on just working 24-7 day in day out, as you mentioned, you know, people can't afford downtime with these systems. I'd love to, to get to know a little bit more about the partnership that you've established with Intel and firstly, maybe just how that came about and, and what drove that partnership. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because our relationship with Intel really started with um, looking for a hardware partner on things like servers, um, a, a pretty mundane and not, not very exciting beginning to what's evolved into a really interesting relationship. So, um, you know, it started there and, and then they introduced us to, um, at the time, their uh, Mavidius processors and the ability to do, um, you know, uh, AI and machine learning um, you know, and, and, and essentially take um, some of the video analytics applications that we were doing, um, drive them through hardware acceleration and be able to do a lot more with a lot more channels of video um, through one machine, which um, really opened our eyes and, and allowed us to apply that type of technology to a much broader range of, of use cases. So that's kind of how things started from a technology standpoint bringing us from your everyday servers to now looking at AI and machine learning and servers with purpose-built processors. And now where things have evolved to is um, Intel is really helping us to connect the dots um, from a partner standpoint. So they're talking to a lot of other um, partners in the, in the space or related spaces and uh, bringing us together to help solve customer problems. One of the things I really like that Intel's doing, um, they've got this approach of partnering with companies like Honeywell um, partly because they just want to be able to have 
access to our end users. They, they want to understand how end users are using their products in the end. And since they don't transact directly with these end users, you know, they, they've got this, this one step of removal. So, you know, selfishly in partnering with a company like Honeywell, they get, they get access to our customers. They get to understand those use cases better. And then they can bring that, that um, intelligence all the way back to how they develop uh, processors. So it's, it's pretty interesting and uh, has turned out to be a pretty symbiotic relationship. Indeed, uh, at the risk of overusing the phrases, again, it reminds me of one of those matches made in heaven and that, um, as you said, you know, the, in the consumer space, they, they have everything from chips and phones to laptops and other things where they do uh, have things in consumers' hands, but often it's partners and resellers and integrators doing that. And, and at your end of the world, uh, often it's organisations like Honeywell who are taking their capabilities from, you know, as you mentioned, the Intel and Mavidius neural compute uh, uh, stick or CPU through to their CPUs and GPUs and FPGAs in servers and, and other devices to putting them into the field. So they, they're often, sort of, as you said, one step away from the from the actual use case and so forth. So I think this is a perfect way for them now to to not just get access to the, the insights from the consumers, but also the use cases. I imagine now you're able to relay a lot of good data around without necessarily giving away the name of the customer and the, the data that's uh, directly related to the people involved in that data set, but share relevant data and knowledge and insights around the use cases and the learnings you have. So this happened in building A, this happening in building B, this, this particular use case went a different direction when we started testing it and relay that back to them so they can bring that all the way down into, I guess, uh, you know, the, the wafers and the chips, as it were, to make things uh, leaner, keener, smarter and faster. Um, give us some example of some of the uh, approaches you've had with, with putting some of this technology in place. Because I imagine that you, know, you go through this design and development phase, you then go through build and test and implementation and labs, and then you start putting things in field. What does that sort of journey look like with regard to the work you're doing in lockstep with your partnership with Intel when you go from a, a problem you're trying to solve to taking it to them and saying, look, we've, we're trying to do this, let's say, with, with computer vision. Um, how do we leverage your technology through to actually getting something in the field? What does that journey look like? Yeah, I mean, it's um, they, they want to get involved directly in helping to solve some of those those customer problems, um, it, which has been great for us. So an example would be, um, you know, for a while we, we've had an embedded NPR that, that has built-in analytics, um, and, it, and it does things like um, determine if people are loitering in a specific space or, um, or uh, you know, understand if people are kind of um, occupying a space that they shouldn't be in after hours. Think of it almost like... Um, like video-based perimeter protection. And uh, the, the system generally works well, but um, where it gets a little bit tricky is, is with, with false alarms when you think about things like, like um, you know, wild animals or, um, or birds or wind-blowing trees, right? And, and um, so, you know, that false alarm rejection becomes really important because um, this video-based um, uh, perimeter protection system is essentially sending um, the same type of an intruder alarm signal to a central monitoring station that a traditional burglar alarm would. So it's going to roll police trucks if it detects any of these things. And after a certain number of false alarms, businesses start incurring fines. So what Intel has helped us to do is actually apply um, machine learning to these algorithms and, and help teach them over time to recognize what is and isn't a false alarm. And we've been able to take you know, our, our um, false positive rate um, from, you know, in the mid-20s down to low single digits by just employing that technology and teaching these algorithms. So now we're able to deploy those taught algorithms on these, on these boxes from the, from the get-go and essentially just have a better product for our customers. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a one that where we've just seen a lot of success. 
Um, where I'd say it gets a little bit more challenging and we're still trying to, to, to kind of work through is um, when you think about deploying things like AI and machine learning um, to try to drive predictive analytics, um, that's something that uh, it's a problem that Intel is helping us with, but we, we still got a ways to go in terms of figuring out how to um, deploy pre-taught algorithms for really complex problems. So an example would be, um, you know, if you've got a large a large campus that you're trying to protect, and ideally you'd like to feed in things like weather data, like um, you know potentially crime or criminal databases, social media information, um, even information from things like HR systems um, into uh, a, you know their their security system, essentially to get to that proactive versus reactive type of system that we were talking about earlier. Um, ultimately, to be able to do that in a way that, that um, businesses can trust, you've got to really train those algorithms to be um, very effective and very low, low false positive rate, right? So um, the, the challenge that we've had is, is um, just the cost of deployment in doing that because every single campus, every single um, application is different. Um, so, you know, working with Intel on now is, is you know, how do, we, how do we potentially do that in a, in a cost-effective way? Um, that's a that's a big problem to solve, but one that we're really looking uh, looking forward to in terms of you know solving a challenge. Indeed, I imagine you're able to leverage a lot of the the uh, like uh, your organization. Intel's been around for decades and decades, and particularly in that product development space, uh, is it the case that you've been able to leverage a lot of their capability and and designing solutions and productizing them and getting them to the field in a timely fashion and a very cost effective fashion, such that you're able to focus. Uh, more tightly on the the types of use cases and the products you want to develop, as opposed to having to be everything to everyone. I mean, it's more of a. I think when we were speaking once earlier, um, you mentioned something along like a co-create concept, where once you've outlined what you're trying to build, you can leverage Intel's capability as much as possible to bring those costs down to to create repeatable design and build processes. That must be a, a massive uh, saving for you both in, in commercial sense and in dollars and cents, but also just time to market that you, you don't have to build everything yourself, you don't have to design it yourself, and you can very much leverage that capability Intel has had for, for a long time in just creating products that you can now just deploy and build the intelligence on top of. Yeah, yeah, and and um, just to, to further that thought, you know, people tend to think of Intel as as you know primarily a hardware company, but but they're starting to deploy standardized um, software tools and toolkits to to really help leverage their hardware. An example of that is OpenVINO. I mean, that's one that we've we've certainly taken advantage of, just in terms of being able to to leverage kind of you know standard deep learning frameworks, um, things like TensorFlow, and and be able to um, leverage their their processors in, in such a way that we can um, efficiently manage the compute for those types of algorithms that are typically pretty compute intensive. Um, and and the other piece I think that's that's been really helpful, um, more so on the hardware side now, is just the ability to um, again I, I think I touched on it earlier, but um, create code once and be able to deploy it in a similar fashion across multiple different types of devices and platforms, whether it's uh, an edge device that might have an atom processor in it to, you know, um, something that's that's uh, in the cloud or at the server level running on, on Xeon processors. Um, that, that's kind of one of the benefits of working with Intel is they've got this this complete, you know, breadth of scale when it comes to processing technologies. So I imagine with that in mind, uh, I mean, when we think about the likes of OpenVINO, um, I mean, video is a big part of what uh, we're probably thinking about in the future and that it's a, a great 
raw data source, uh, and you can do many things with it. You can you can feed it to multiple different uh, types of service providers to to de- you know, do things like detect moving vehicles, moving people, branches falling off trees. But when you talked about leveraging Intel's capability there from, from the low end to the high end of the compute capability and all the technology in between, machine learning, artificial intelligence, I suspect that edge is becoming a bigger challenge for you in that um, whether it's edge networking and edge compute because you've got the scenario where um, even if you think about video, you know, even with 4K video as a raw data source, it's high volume, it's high speed, it's high value. Uh, and, and with the soon-to-come Cambrian explosion of 5G uh, connectivity, we're no longer now just talking about megabytes and, and gigabytes of data. We're going to be talking about petabytes and potentially, uh, or terabytes rather, and petabytes eventually. And, and you can't copy that across a network no matter how hard you try, whether it's to a centralized data center or to a, a hybrid public-private cloud mix. Um, this must be an in- exciting, interesting new uh, approach for you to be able to take your capabilities and put it out to the edge of the network and out to the edge of the, the space where the data sets are and glean those insights and intelligence as they're happening as opposed to trying to haul that data somewhere to, to run it centrally. Yeah, if you, if you think of, um, so take 4K cameras as an example. If you, if you think of them as much as a, um, a smart sensor as you do a video camera, um, and think about what the use cases might be for a 4K camera. Um, yeah, given the constraints that there are around around bandwidth and, and like you said, just the amount of data you're trying to send over the network, um, you really want to be able to, to to do as much as you can with that data or with that video rather at the edge as possible. So what I mean by that is, you know, if there's a particular analytic that you want to run because that camera is positioned to, as an example, um, detect, uh, you know, uh, People for um, uh, people counting, as an example, um, all you really care about is the is the people counting aspect. So you want to be able to do that compute at the edge and just send the metadata that's important uh, over the network. Um, you know, if it's an application where it's potentially being used for um, access control, you don't need to necessarily hold on to that footage of um, somebody walking up to that door. You just need to identify that it is in fact the person. Uh, through facial recognition or other biometric means, behavioral uh, uh, recognition, gate, gate detection, et cetera. Um, and then feedback a signal that, yes, this is in fact the person that's supposed to have access to this space. So um, compute at the edge is becoming that much more important. The other thing that we haven't touched on yet, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to at some point, is uh, privacy protection. Um, there again, you may not want to actually send the video back to home, right? You, what you really care about are the things that that video is, is allowing you to detect and doing that analysis at the edge in an efficient way, sending the, the appropriate data then over the network. Yeah, in fact, when I think about what you're just saying there, you, you, you've touched an interesting point because you've got, in many cases, you've got uh, compliance and regulation at a, at a regional level, such as GDPR, and certainly Australia's got our own Privacy Act, and I know America's tightening the shop there. You've got uh, federal government-mandated uh, national uh, challenges, and then you've got sometimes state-level challenges uh, between uh, areas of one country in, in, in itself. And then you've got corporate compliance and governance. And so we're, we're getting to the point where now we're, where the treatment of data and the movement of data is becoming more and more of a, of a challenge. And I guess this is something that you're at the front end of on a daily basis, on the bleeding edge of the space. Um, and again, you can leverage what Intel's been able to achieve because they're, they're dealing with that across so many other markets and market segments and product types that you can now, I guess, leverage some of that capability as well to integrate in what you're doing with how you're treating data, the types of protections you've got around data and the compliance and, and other security measures. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and we're seeing it's it's uh, of course in the U.S. we're making things more complicated than the rest of the world. We're we're seeing that um, uh, privacy um, law kind of variability down to the municipal level, which becomes really really challenging to track. We've got a whole team that's just dedicated towards trying to stay on top of um, changing legislation and understanding that. And so it becomes really important. Um, you know, one of the key parts of privacy protection and GDPR is um, having encrypted video with, with facial blurring technology and, and only unblurring um, the people that need to be unblurred uh, based on, um, you know, and, and the right people having authority to do that unblurring. We're typically trying to do that at the at the client side, um, and and so it might be, um, you know, just a, a standard workstation where you're trying, to, and a thin client where you're trying to do that um, um, uh, kind of deblurring exercise. So to be able to do that um, again at, at the at the client side in real time um, through a thin client is is uh, is, a, is a challenge. Um, but that's something that Intel has been able to help us with as well. And and so um, we've been able to deploy that now in, in Europe um, through ProWatch and um, and ProWatch BMS, our, our video management system uh, for uh, deployments in Europe. Wow, congratulations. One of the other things I imagine you can leverage from the partnership with Intel, just uh, briefly on this again, is that they've had the opportunity to deal with that whole multi-generation shift and that is that uh, many of these markets you're dealing with have got potentially five generations you've got to deal with uh, in, in a positive way. Uh, everything from the, the, the boomers to the Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z and millennials over the top of that. And by that I mean that your your market is probably made up of, of um, various age groups that are used to different types of interfaces. So in some cases they're used to, as you said, those walls and walls and banks of screens looking at things moving around. And in the other end of the spectrum you've got kind of what I refer to uh, uh, affectionately as uh, Xbox CIOs or Xbox CXOs. And this is sort of mm-hmm. the millennial generation who've grown up with never not knowing the internet, never not being connected, never not having a smartphone in their hands and um, expecting gamification of some of this stuff. So they, they don't really want to get emails. They want to get uh, DMs, let's call it, uh, alerts. They, they don't want to sit in front of walls and walls and banks of computer screens. They want the, a smartphone device or a tablet or a phablet, let's call it an oversized phone, to alert mm-hmm. them. And they want that sort of more social media type experience from the system to, to, to keep them alerted. And I imagine that there's an interesting challenge now for you to, to, to deal with that whole generational shift from what traditionally decades ago might have just been, as I said, screens and keyboards and so forth, uh, to now sort of the more mobile device focused uh, uh, alerting and monitoring, where, uh, and particularly remote monitoring. This is probably a space that I imagine you're leveraging the experience and knowledge and capability uh, from Intel as well. And that is they, they've dealt with this across decades of, of generational shift and pivot. They've dealt with that whole interface change. Um, is this a fair comment that you've now been able to delve into that experience and knowledge and bring that into the types of tools you're building as well? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's certainly that, that multi-generational aspect is certainly driving our approach to um, to interface design. Um, and, and one of the one of the key changes that it's driven is um, there, there's less of a of a patience and tolerance for wanting to go through um, you know repeated training and drills, and so it's become really really important to push the exact operating procedures that are expected when an incident occurs. So you know, the, and that's actually part of compliance as well. When I when I listed those verticals in the beginning, things like pharma and banking. Um, or, or even uh, the TSA and airports, you know, when an incident occurs, they want to be able to have 
an audit log and an, on an audit trail that be, that's able to show exactly what the response was and um, the fact that the appropriate response was was taken and followed through. And so, um, you know, being able to do that, um, you know, through our software and, and, and across multiple formats, like you mentioned, everything from, from uh, mobile to um, at the GSOC level is, uh, is certainly really critical for us. Do you think that uh, there's a, a new market in the space uh, leverage some, some of the things you're, you're working with Intel and co-creating now where it'll open up new markets for you? I mean, there's some traditional markets, as you mentioned, of those three core capabilities in some of the market segments. I imagine that there's a new, uh, slightly blurry market being developed where um, the types of businesses you can deal with now that are coming to you saying, you know, they're not necessarily traditional banks or airport, but there are more complex types of organizations saying we've got a very unique challenge for you. Um, what can you do in this space? Uh, I imagine some of the mobility and the edge compute and other things are now giving the, the opportunity to broaden that horizon beyond those original market segments you've got, uh, given that Intel's doing the same thing in many ways in compute and network and security and some of the, the technologies are building at artificial intelligence and machine learning and and all the types of compute they've got down to their neural compute uh, uh, and other uh, CPUs and so forth. Is this a, sort of a future vision now where you can leverage that capability that they've built in their own space to open new markets for yourselves as, as Honeywell in that whole security segment you're ecking out? Yeah, I would say that I have kind of a three-part answer to that. One is um, the direct answer is yes, and I would say it's, it's allowing us to look more at applications that that are really really video and camera intensive where you've got thousands of cameras so things like like smart cities as an example uh, so now we're extending past the building into smart cities um, it's allowed us to go back to existing customers um, if you look at the gaming industry where um, traditionally they've got thousands of cameras deployed um, but they've they've been uh, you know kind of you run in the mill analog cameras um, and, and now they're looking to upgrade those older casinos to IP uh, cameras and uh, certainly wanting to fully leverage analytics. Um, you know, talk about an industry where you've got to have um, operators that are sitting and staring at each gaming table and making sure that, that you know, we've got no cheaters or nobody's stealing. Um, now being able to deploy analytics to do a lot of that work for them is really critical. But as you can imagine, trying to do that on a scale where you've got 3,000 cameras in a, in a casino is... Uh, is uh, an interesting challenge. So Intel's helping us to tackle those types of applications and go back to existing customers to upgrade their infrastructure. And then the, the, the third space where I'd say they're really helping is also um, within our industry, we're seeing this shift from um, the, the chief security officers um, coming from a traditional security or physical security background to coming from more of an IT background or even the CIOs dual heading as the chief security officers. So they're, they're helping us both with their relationships, obviously within the IT industry with CIOs, but also um, in, in being able to, um, you know, deploy solutions that are relevant, that, that um, uh, you know, um, are, are things that a, a CIO or an IT specialist would be familiar with and be able to kind of talk the talk. Um, so, you know, I think three different, three different ways we're able to really leverage that relationship to kind of expand our universe. 
It's certainly an exciting future for you. I can imagine that uh, as you expand on that uh, existing uh, market segment, those market segments you'll uh, focus on currently, uh, I suspect that there'll be a point in time, if it hasn't already happened, uh, where um, you will no longer have to go out to the market and, and sell and pitch this capability. You'll be more likely to be there ready, willing, and able as, as companies come to you and say, we've seen what you can do. Um, what if we just tip it this way? Or what if we approach it that way? Or what if we turn it upside down and do it in reverse? And they'll be able to apply the capabilities you've got now to some of the new problems that are emerging in the world that we hadn't anticipated before, but now are just a reality for us. I think there's a, a very exciting opportunity between yourselves as Honeywell and uh, and what you're leveraging with Intel and that partnership to, to now look at uh, completely unique and bizarre problems that are just existing in current world uh, because of the way that data and technology is uh, influencing our lives on a day-to-day basis that uh, are just going to make us happier and safer and just more willing to get out of bed and walk around the streets knowing that we are safer as a result of what you're doing there at Honeywell. And I thank you for that. Uh, Like yourself, I've got two young kids, 15 and 18, and, uh, you know, I do naturally worry as a parent, but more so as a technologist as yourself around some of the things that are moving so fast and so differently that we haven't had a chance to catch our breath with them yet that, uh, yeah, I think it's a very exciting future. Um, well, Tim, it's been great to get some of these insights from you. I wonder if I could ask you one last thing before we wrap up. Um, uh, often sure. with my, my guests, I, I ask if I can hand you a virtual crystal ball and gaze into it for a moment. With all of what we've talked about around what you're doing inside Honeywell and the whole sp- space of, of security itself and some of the amazing innovations you've developed and built and taken to the market so far and certainly the amazing partnership with Intel and the way you're leveraging their capabilities and organization, not just in hardware and software, but also all of the intelligence they've brought to the market in various ways. Um, if you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball for a moment for me, at the next three to five years, I mean, uh, in the context of what we're talking about just today, um, in your heart and mind, what do you think is coming over the horizon for us? What are some of the things that organizations should be thinking about right now from their boardrooms down to their water cooler conversations in the hallway? If organizations are tuned in and, and are just listening to the amazing insights and, and anecdotes you've shared today, um, what would you have them talk about over the next three to five years that they should be considering and anticipating and being ready for such they can reach out to yourself and your team uh, at Honeywell and, and, and put these challenges to you? Because I know there's so many moving parts, but I suspect that you've probably got a couple that uh, you could share just as uh, tips and insights to sort of say, you know, at boardroom level, consider these things or on a day-to-day basis across your business units and your various business unit heads, think about this or, you know, this is the sort of thing you should be thinking about if you're just talking to people at the water cooler. Right. Well, you know, I think the obvious one, and we already touched on it, so I won't spend much time on it, but this idea of um, reactive versus proactive and focus incident management management and response. One of the one of the things that we didn't talk about as the trigger for that is increased labor costs and you know lack of of skilled labor and um, you know I, I'm not sure if you're seeing the same thing in Australia but certainly here in the states we're seeing this uh, increase of minimum wage. Um, the states are responsible for minimum wage and oftentimes down to the to the city level and so there's this general trend of increasing minimum wage. So, you know, those those security workers that were affordable at one point and you could have half a dozen of, well, maybe now I can only afford to have two. So, you know, that's partly what's driving this this desire also to have the security system just be more automated and be more proactive so that I don't have to rely on as many people to get the job done. Um, so that's probably one of the less exciting ones, but certainly one that's, that's driving um, investment in our industry. Um, you know, thinking about it, I, I think security over over the next few years is going to 
hopefully continue to fall kind of in the background for the for the building occupant. Um, one of the really interesting things that my group's working on is something called frictionless access, or at least that's what we're calling it, is frictionless access, where um, essentially you're you're um, allowing access to a space um, without having to really engage with the user or the, the building occupant at all. Um, you know, whether it's using facial recognition, or I mentioned like gate detection earlier, um, or at most perhaps, you know, maybe you're having to wave your hand through a biometric scanner. Um, you know, essentially you're not having to dig out a badge. You're not even having to deal with a mobile credential on your device. Um, or if there is a mobile credential on your device, you don't have to take your device out. It's detecting it automatically. Point being, we're using all these different technologies to, you know, essentially make it more secure and less intrusive to be able to go and occupy the spaces you're used to being in. Um, another kind of key use case or piece of that is automated visitor management. You know, when you when you go visit an office, you've typically got to go um, register um, with the front desk and oftentimes get your picture taken and fill out a, a log that says what time you've been there and who you're going to visit and all those sorts of things. Wouldn't it be nice if those things could just be automated? Um, you know, so we're working towards solutions around that. One of my favorite examples around automated visitor management is is um, hospitals. Um, you want hospitals to be safe. Um, but you also want to have, especially in an emergency situation, you want to have access to your loved ones. So we've got some thoughts about how we automate hospital visitor management such that if my, if my loved one is checked into the hospital um, and, uh, you know, the hospital is able to know, um, you know, which, which guests and types of guests are um, allowed access and allow me easy access and free access to, the, to, to my, uh, my uh, you know, my loved one's room or area where they're occupying. Um, but not necessarily compromising the security of, of the hospital on the whole, and in, in fact, making it more secure. So um, it's this idea of, again, security kind of being automated and falling into the background that I think we're going to be able to enable through these technologies. And to me, that's, that's pretty exciting because you're, you're both making buildings safer, but also making security less intrusive. Wow, some amazing takeaways there. I really appreciate it, Tim. Uh, and and I, I concur entirely in that uh, HR and skills are, are just increasingly a problem, not even just for the, uh, the, the, the amount of money we can pay for them, but just getting those skills. Uh, uh, and, and I think you know, the shift in types of jobs and roles that people have been looking at uh, for, as far as career paths, getting the, you know, the HR challenge of finding people the right skills or training them, I think, and sustaining that is going to be a challenge. I love this idea that uh, security sort of falls into the background in a positive sense because uh, the more we can automate, the more systems you can build for us and the less we have to worry about it as a, as a physical thing and it just happens in the background, I think the safer and happier we are in the world. And this frictionless access, I love this concept. I, um, I, yeah, I'm, I've had the unfortunate scenario of having to visit my mum in hospital recently with an elective surgery and yeah, it took me nearly half an hour to actually find her in the hospital by the time I went through the checks and balances and actually filled in paper right. forms, for goodness sake. I mean, I filled in a paper form to find my mum in a <laughs> hospital in 2019. Like, this is insane. Well, Tim, thank you so much for making time. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you, uh, your role, the amazing stuff you're doing there at Honeywell. Uh, congratulations on an amazing uh, career path so far, and, and I'm sure you're just loving this whole blend of marketing and product. And uh, I, I'm so envious you've had this opportunity to see this come uh, from from an idea to fruition, and uh, and I think we're set for a very exciting uh, 
future with what you're doing yourself and your your team around you and certainly Honeywell in this commercial security product space. And certainly with the partnership with Intel, I think that uh, more than anything uh, alongside of this uh, gives us great confidence that you're leveraging the right technology in the right ways uh, and that it'll give you the power and speed and scale and capacity to challenge things that we haven't even thought about yet. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show uh, sometime in 2020 and talk about a recap of kind of where we're at and some of the new things you've been able to do. But thanks so much for being uh, available today. It's been great to hear from you and and learn what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to seeing where you're going the next three to five years and see these things you're talking about come to to fruition. Thanks, Des. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, our time. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And, um, yeah, it's absolutely been my, my pleasure. Like you said, I think it's a really exciting time for the security industry. I, I really do think we're going to realize this shift from from uh, from reactive to proactive. I think we're going to start to look at things like analytics as kind of normal and, and, and uh, you know, part of the status quo versus the exception. Um, and, it's, and it's really going to enable some really, you know, exciting and, and interesting things and and like you said in the end just making us uh safer and making our buildings and our loved ones safer so again thanks for the opportunity it was a pleasure we'd love to talk again and uh yeah have a great rest of your day indeed the future is very bright and thank you very much for uh, playing a key role in doing that uh tim it's been an absolute pleasure and we'll look forward to talking again soon all right thanks des